Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 3 here. Isaiah 3 continues right where we left off. We have this, as we were discussing with our guest yesterday, Pastor Nathan Matter. It, it's really a poem, and this, this poem, this poetic prophecy, begins in chapter 2, and it continues on through chapter 3 and into chapter 4. Uh, and that's actually a little bit of the thing we're going to have to look at today and tomorrow. We have for ourselves here 26 verses in chapter 3. And uh, tomorrow, it's kind of weird. We only have six verses in chapter 4. You know, this is one of these instances where we're kind of left scratching our heads. But we got to remember, God didn't put the chapter and verse numbers there. We did. And, uh, well, they're usually pretty good, but sometimes they're kind of weird. So, really, we need to appreciate these things as a whole. And so... I anticipate that tomorrow we'll be revisiting a lot of the last part of chapter three today. So today and tomorrow really belong together really well. But you have this prophecy and you have, among other things, the longest list of jewelry in the Bible. What's going on here? Why is there so much emphasis on what the women are wearing? It's part of the poetry. And joining us today to get into this poetry and unlock the meaning here, we've got Pastor Dave Andrus. He's pastor at Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in St. Louis, also pastor of Not Alone Ministries. Welcome back, brother. It's been a little while. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And it's good to be back. Good to be back. You, you yeah, and in Isaiah I was I was going to ask about chapter four and tomorrow, and I got this chapter, and and the poor guy tomorrow, what's he going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's just like one of those things, like I was saying, it, it, they really belong together, because once you hit chapter five, now that's just, it really changes directions entirely. Now in chapter five, mm -hmm. you get this this song of the vineyard, but, but two, three, and four, even though they're three separate chapters, they're really just kind of the same long poetic prophecy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. But, uh, so, yeah, it's question, one of those I'm things doing where... very well and uh, happy to be able to serve and be with you today. Yeah, yeah. Good Good to have you with us. And you know, like I was saying, you know, in Isaiah, it's very, it, it's awesome to be looking at Isaiah. Isaiah being just in many ways one of the most prominent books of the Old Testament and certainly among the, what are referred to as the, the latter prophets or sometimes the major prophets uh, certainly a place of uh, privilege. As we were saying yesterday when we were going over just uh, just all the different connections you see to the New Testament, the New Testament authors drew on Isaiah left and right, though I suppose I'm not as familiar with this part of the poem if there's as many New Testament allusions. Are you aware of that? I, I'm aware of, of the New Testament with Isaiah, but not with this chapter, chapter 3. No, not at all. You know, there's there's a lot of really interesting lines that, you know, you, you think to yourself, they would have they would have potentially been really interesting to put into the New Testament, but they, they didn't show up. So this is mm -hmm. one of these mm -hmm. chapters, I think, that's a little a little less familiar. Um, but you get, like I said, this long list of jewelry and also this long list of uh, different kinds of uh, magicians and sorcerers. So it, it's it's really some, there's some poetic stuff going on here. So looking forward to digging into it. And do I recall your, you have a doctorate in Old Testament, do you not? 
Mm-hmm. Well, working on the doctorate still, but it's ah. really a focus on on the way this, that biblical languages um, track their meaning with word order. So it works with both Old Testament Hebrew and with New Testament Greek. But I would not I would not go so far as to call myself a specialist in the Old Testament, though. <laughs> ah, well, see, and that's what I was kind of aiming towards. I thought you were. Well, you're more of a specialist than I. I am a generalist. I'm a parish pastor, and specifically we're working with uh, people who are blind and visually impaired and their unique cultural situations, which Mm -hmm. I'm finding is starting to become more and more true in a wider population. Um, But uh, I am not as familiar with some of this Old Testament language as some scholars are, Um, but we'll, we'll dig in it and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, no, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. We'll we'll get to at least scratch our heads together here. But before we do, would you open us up with a prayer? Indeed, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies, and even as we look at your word today, which seems to be of a rather stern law judgment, we thank you that your intent is always to bring us back to you. Thank you for your word and guide and bless us as we study it, especially so that it may resonate with us and bless us today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So before we start reading here, I always tell people, you know, when the first word is therefore or for or something like that, you need to take a step back and say, hang on a second. So this is clearly connected to what we were talking about. So indeed, the first verse here is, for behold. Okay, all right, so how is it connected to what precedes? What did we read? Uh, We just read in chapter 2 yesterday, Yet you had this poetic prophecy here talking about God humbling the proud. Um, And we saw that in a couple different ways. It was either, you know, the proud in their prosperity with all this silver and gold and a land filled with horses and chariots, right? Um, But Mm -hmm. also, on the other hand, a land full of idolatry, filled with idols, filled with the worship that went on under the oaks, and that went on in the gardens. So you have this imagery of just total, I mean, it's depravity and extravagance, how they just get tied together. And so today, Mm -hmm. it's going to just continue this idea of God bringing fire and judgment to that, that scene of prosperity. And we said that probably something going on during the reigns of Jotham or Ahaz, or or perhaps even both, just kind of referring to that time of just excess. And uh, in fact, actually, Pastor Metter yesterday had a a good more, uh, you know, American illusion. Maybe it's kind of like the Roaring Twenties or something like that. But the (laughs) boom is going to be followed by a bust. Yeah, yeah. So here we go then in chapter 3. That's what we read in chapter 2. So here's chapter 3 here, the first several verses. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms, And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, every one his fellow, and every one his neighbor. 
the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. All right, well, let's take a look and just pause there here. So it's very similar to what we were reading in chapter 2, this idea that the proud are going to be humbled here, and that the the material wealth and the abundance is, is going to be is going to give way to really a, a time of lacking and a time of waste. And that's really just amplified here, particularly with regards even to basic things like food and water. And on the other side of it, there's this talk about decimating the leadership, too, in particular, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, leadership, government, uh, uh, and, and I see the first part with the food and water. Those are the basics of life. And so uh, God is saying, I'm going to take away the basics of life and don't think that you can turn to others like a government for support because I will be taking them away as well. Right, right. And we've seen that before, that a part of the responsibility that God gives to the left-hand kingdom, the rulers in the left-hand kingdom, is to make sure that the citizens have the basic sorts of things like food and water. And so there's going to be failure in that. And I mean, the language, I mean, it is really striking. It's not just, you know, that it says, um, you know, we're going to run out of good leaders or the leaders are going to be struck down. But I mean, isn't it just, it's so striking. Boys will be their princes. Infants shall rule over them. The idea is that there's just not going to be anyone who's qualified to do this left. All the qualified people will be gone. And so it's going to be this really desperate situation where just, any random person is going to be thrown into a leadership position there in verse six. Uh, you have a cloak. You, you shall be our leader, right? Like, oh, you look like you might be important. Just you're, you're it. <laughs> it's, it's giving a, a, a picture of total disarray, of confusion yeah. and, and total disorder that no one knows what to do at all. Anarchy is probably the word we would use today, even though people are trying to uh, put in uh, uh, proper laws and legislation or, or, or proper leadership, it isn't working out at all. Right. So, okay, this situation, it is, it's really bleak. It looks something like anarchy here. So, I mean, th- this, is, this is an interesting thing then to consider. Wh- when, is, when is this talking about? You know, because, you know, like I said, we were looking at this prophecy that seemed to be talking about the the excess and the abundance and the depravity of the time of Jotham and Ahaz. So when is it then that all this goes away, there's a time of lacking, and all the leaders get sent away? Well, uh, certainly there is the the near as well as the far. The the near picture would be uh, when... um, I suppose you would say is probably 596. Some might put it when the Babylonians came in the first time in 610, I think that was the date, that that things would be disrupted completely. But I also see this pointing way to the future uh, as well. 
not so much to the order of earthly experience, but often visions and prophecies uh, speak about uh, the future and how it relates to God and our spirituality. I should say Jesus and our spirituality. So, and so, so go ahead and certainly will yeah, go ahead and develop that more as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a historical level, certainly, and and you mentioned one fulfillment that that we've talked about before, especially when we're looking at Daniel and Ezra dealing with the Babylonian mm-hmm. exile. Um, and then it was uh, the last couple of days looking at Isaiah one and Isaiah two. We were talking about the the Assyrian exile, the Assyrian exile of the north and the siege mm-hmm. in the south. Mm-hmm. And we saw in Isaiah one how there's just this description of um, of just everything lying in waste, devastation, um, just the city being brought low and how that picture in Isaiah 1, the opening picture of the whole book, seems to be the, the wake of the destruction of the Assyrians when they came right up to the city and they nearly captured the city um, when they put it to siege. And so that seems to be the, the opening picture, the devastation wrought by the Assyrians before the Babylonians came onto the scene. And so there's certainly these historical dimensions. But but you're mentioning what I think is important, though, to see the spiritual ones to our own situation. So, I mean, like, what in particular are you thinking about when you apply this to our own present-day situation? Well, uh, when I think of, of even those first words of support and supply, um, uh, we so often uh, can look at our lives and go, you know, I'm making my job and wages and I'm doing fine. And, and, and uh, uh, pretty soon I'll uh, actually I'm 60 years old. So I'm glancing at retirement, not that it's going to happen for a while, but okay, I've got this. <laughs> and then this, and I'm looking at all these supports that I have that, okay, I'm going to be okay. I have my network that's going to hold me. Well, if I'm trusting on those things alone, I think that's one of the aspects it's looking to is when we take our life and our future into our own hands and depend upon ourselves, then this speaks to us. And and I think this is one aspect, as I was doing a little reading in, in, in preparation, I liked what one writer said was um, uh, bread and water will be taken away. Well, what is the bread and water uh, for us as Christians? But Jesus, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And when we... Um, and when we see that it is he who provides and sustains our lives, both here and into eternity then we have the proper perspective. And that's really what the people were doing. Part of their pride was they were depending on themselves on an earthly level back then in, in, in the northern country. And, um, and so it can happen today that we depend on ourselves so much that we forget to realize all of this comes from God, and, and he can take it away just like that, as well as give it and the last thought is it always yeah. reminds me that what said him, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven's my home. This shouldn't mm-hmm. be our only thought as Christians. We, yeah, we're here. We're planted. We live, we work, we move, but we always have to have an eye to eternity. This is just a blink of an eye compared to what Jesus is giving us, who is our bread and our water of life. 
Right. Yeah. No. And I think that's that's helpful. We got to remember, you know, how chapter two started out. Yeah, it was an oracle of judgment and one of fire. But how did it start out? Well, it starts off with this vision of this golden messianic age, right? And we were looking at that. Mm -hmm. um, there's this mountain of the Lord that's lifted up and all the nations are streaming to it. And the Messiah of God is not just ruling over you know, this little area of, of Palestine and, and Canaan, but no, he's ruling over all the nations. He's judging between them, deciding their disputes. They beat their swords into plowshares because there's no war anymore. They're all united under him. So there's this, you know, heavenly vision of peace of both the external kind, but also fundamentally the internal kind, because everyone is living according to the ways of God and walking in his paths. And so you have this vision, right? And so he starts there. He starts there and then moves into the judgment. And we were talking about how uh, the thing is, if, if we're going to get to that messianic age, if we're going to really be able to like cast our vision and look out into the distance and see that as our goal, we've got to reject we've got to reject to a certain level with the, the present age right now. We, we can't see this as ultimate. And we, we've got to actually look around and say, you know what, as tempting as it is to think, oh, this is just fantastic and I should just, you know, um, set up shop here and, you know, lay down my roots, so to speak, you know, kind of that imagery that you were just suggesting of kind of like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is my home, this is it, right? This is, you know, I'm laying my foundation down here. Seeing this as, just something that we're passing through. Uh, and that change of perspective is necessary if we're going to get to something else, if we're going to go beyond it. And so I think the same thing is operating still here in, in chapter three that, you know, yeah, if we're, if we're looking around and we're putting our ultimate hope and dependence on these things, if we're, if we're saying, you know, this bread and this water, that's, that's it and that's final, how how are we going to get on to the spiritual bread and the spiritual water that is in Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Uh, so I, I think what you're saying, it fits well with what we're looking at with chapter two, that you, you got to despair of the present things to hope for those future things. Yes. And, and, and admittedly, it is hard for us because we are born with the sinful nature, but more than the born with the sinful nature is we are born without a spiritual nature. It is dead. And so it's hard for us to think about that other realm of spirituality uh, in which God works, forms, functions, and wants to know us. And uh, to keep that in mind, when we are living a life of somewhat luxury, where things, our needs are met yeah. and we're happy and content, it's easy to forget that. Um, when people struggle and suffer and, and live from hand to mouth, it's a little easier to look forward to the future uh, because you want that promise of something different. But yeah. we are blessed, and, and we are here in this country, and we are blessed. And I'm not saying we should have it all thrown away and, and we should all be paupers, but we do need to focus in the fact that we shouldn't be so comfortable in all our earthly possessions that we forget the spiritual. And, and that's part of what the sin is here that we're dealing with in chapter 3, is the defiance of God and spirituality, that there is that, and that he is the giver and provider of everything. 
Right. No, there's certain there's certainly this this misplaced trust and dependence on the physical things, on the abundance. We feel good about life because we have a ton of stuff. Um, and also mm -hmm. we feel good about life because we have all of these. We'll just look. We have not only all these, uh, you know, political and military leaders, but we have, you know, skillful magicians and experts in charms. Right. And, and that's what we saw in Chapter two. Right. It says that, yeah, the land is full of silver and gold and it's also full of things from the east right is what it says i mean i mean the house it says mm -hmm. house of jacob mm -hmm. because they're full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the philistines and so you know we're looking at things and depending on things that we should not be depending on as god's people and you know like you were saying to a certain extent it's just really easy to get caught up in all of that and just the uh, when there's this extravagant level of wealth when it's like this prosperity it's easy just to be like Oh, well, I mean, I don't have to worry about, you know, things like, you know, survival or, you know, I don't have to worry about the practical <laughs> things so much. And so I can right. I can branch out and just focus on, uh, you know, finding myself. And, you know, I mean, it's cer certainly right. We just we can easily get caught up in the in the kind of navel gazing that happens with wealth. But what's interesting is that even when the wealth is taken away, we can still do the same thing. Thing, and we can still cling to the present and, and keep our eyes cast downward on earth to the exclusion of heaven. And that's what you see in chapter three, that, you know, even when everything is taken away, what, you know, they're, they're, they're saying like, there's this desperation. You have a cloak. You shall be our leader here. Be, you know, be the ruler of this heap of ruins, right? Like they're just clinging onto the present so desperately, even in, even in poverty, um, it just it just reminds me of, uh, you know, like the wisdom that, you know, don't don't assume that you need to be wealthy to be greedy. You don't need to be wealthy to be greedy. That's interesting. And I hadn't thought about that, but that is true. That is very true. Well, I mean, it's yeah. just the, it's, it's the thing, you know, I mean, it's uh, it reminds me I, there's a prayer, I think. Um, something along the lines of like, you know, Lord, don't make me so wealthy that I forget about you, but so poor that I'm bitter against you, you know, uh, just yes, give I me just that. enough mm -hmm. to be content. Right. And I think there's mm -hmm. something, there's something to that, that you can be obsessed with the present either because you have frankly too much, right. And you're just, you know, well, let's tear down these, uh, these storehouses so we can build bigger ones. Right. Or it's just, you're living so hand to mouth that you're so obsessed with just, you know, uh, trying to like, you know, I guess get out of the, 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 the panic situation, right? Just try to survive mm -hmm. um, that mm -hmm. you don't think for a moment about, you know, well, where is it all going and what's all the purpose and, you know, what what's my ultimate source of comfort and security? So uh, either way, we can fall off the boat. Indeed. Indeed. Well, so we have we have this language here in, in verse six, you know, which is, you know, this idea of the desperation that, you know, will to a certain extent persist even when God takes it all away. Um, in, in the local situation, it may be referring to the siege of Jerusalem when when the north falls and when Assyria comes right up to the gates. And and I, I liked what you were saying that this this does happen to us spiritually, that we go through these seasons of life both as individuals and as a country of, of uh, extravagance or abundance. And, mm -hmm. and even when it's taken away, our first reaction is not always like, Oh, I need to repent. But 
but oh, I need to like, you know, be really, you know, focused on, on the present now. And, and, I, and I feel like this is just something that, I mean, like, I think that everyone in American history can relate to this a lot too. You know, when we had uh, the, the great recession, so-called, right, there was a lot that we learned about our society as a whole, but hold that thought. We need to uh, go into a short break here, but we're looking at Isaiah chapter three here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Molly Hemingway of Fox News about a new book on Justice Kavanaugh, written by New York Times reporters. We'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Abram, and we'll get a review of Stephen Hawking's final book, Brief Answers to the Big Questions, from Dr. Angus Manoush. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 3. We're joined today by our guest, Pastor Dave Andrus, pastor of Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in St. Louis and also of Not Alone Ministries. And we were just you know, reflecting on this, that this pattern of this obsession with the present, that it can happen in both times of abundance and in times of lack and in feast and famine. And we were just getting to this thought here that it really, and this is, I think we talked about this a little bit too yesterday with Pastor Metter, that th this was really interesting to see in America here with the, the so-called Great Recession and when everything just went like really south um, around like 2008, 2009. Uh, but before I, I get into that, I do want to make sure that I put those numbers out there. If you do have a question or a comment as you're listening live, you know, it is interesting and very helpful to sometimes think of these real life experiences that that show that, you know, Isaiah is as relevant as ever. If you have a question or comment from St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Elsewhere, you can call 1-800-730-2727, or you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. 
So I remember just, you know, briefly one thing that I thought was really interesting before, you know, we went into um, great, the, this, you know, great recession, right, which we seem to have just mm -hmm. marvelously recovered from. And of course, mm -hmm. we'll never repeat that, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> We, we all come out of that and what was everyone saying like oh well it was greed it was it was unadulterated greed it was greed on wall street of course it was all of them right it's not like main street was greedy heavens no um and <clears throat> so you know we had all this greed and it was this excess of greed that led to all these bad things that happened um and so you know now uh, we, we've kind of you know been been humbled and repentant and you know we're, we're not going to be like that anymore we're not going to let greed dictate the way that we do business and investing and, and so on and so forth, right? Uh, that was what was what was said. Um, but like we've just been saying, you don't need to be wealthy to be greedy. There's this really interesting line of research that was looking at charitable giving. And as we might expect, when the recession hit, people cut back. They were not giving as much like to, you know, just uh, to the church, to charities in general, right. the, those right. those levels, they, they dropped. What you might have thought is that when the economy picked up again, you know, and, you know, just we, we celebrate we talking about this last time, how, you know, we've got like one of these the lowest levels of unemployment in a very long time. And, you know, wage real wages are actually increasing and so on and so forth. Right. Um, you would have thought that with all of that, things would have picked up and the charitable giving would have also gone back up, but it didn't really. Nope. It actually no, it kind of stayed at the same level, which which is just really something, right? Because does does that show that we really learned our lesson or that we became any less greedy? It seems to imply that we didn't really learn the lesson and rather we were just like in the verse six here where we're like, oh, well, you be the leader and, you know, you rule over this heap of ruins. And we maybe just stayed greedy, which does not bode well for the future. <laughs> it, it, it is uh, uh, on a human level. Yeah. Oh, I got a little bit more. I better save it. No, don't know what's going to happen. And oh, I got to exactly. replenish what was gone. I mean, we can exactly. rationalize. My wife always says I can rationalize my way out of a paper bag. And I probably can oh, gosh. when it comes to things and wanting things or getting things. I feel that. Yeah. But you are absolutely correct that we probably did not learn that it is uh, uh, based upon our greed and that we should give thanks to God and return to him a portion of that. Um, right. and, and so it does reflect that maybe these words are appropriate for today as well as back in 750 BC or whatever it was. Right. Um, right. Especially when we look right, at the no. externals of things, because it reflects, even though God always wants to go to our hearts, touch our hearts. Right. And so he often will point to the external things, the earthly things, because they are just a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. Right. No, that's right. God, God sees the heart. And, you know, it's so easy for us to just, I don't know what, write off the people in the Bible and be like, oh, these crazy people, you know, you know, they're supposed to be following God. And there they are, you know, following, you know, diviners and, um, you know, sorcerers and magicians and experts and charms. And I, I don't do any of that stuff. Clearly, I'm in the right. But, you know, just God <laughs> sees the heart and we dress, we dress it up so many different ways. I mean, you know, 
people, I mean, you, you wake up every day and, you know, whether it's uh, the horoscopes or like the, the Wall Street Journal with like the predictions of how the market's going or, you know, whatever your business side is or whatever. I mean, like we, we, we wake up and you know, maybe it's just, you know, social media, right? And we just depend on this stuff. It, it, we just build our whole reality on it. This is what the world is like. And this is telling me what things, what, what I need to do. And I need to adapt to this. And we, we subconsciously just, uh, we let all these other things dominate our thinking. Uh, not that necessarily any of them are just outright terrible or wrong, but to, to what extent? And God knows, God sees in the heart to what extent that we just let these things run away with us and take on a life of their own. And so, yeah, you know, we rationalize our, our way out of a paper bag, right? I get that feeling, right? And we come up with mm -hmm, all kinds mm -hmm. of, you know, just really plausible sounding justifications like, well, you know, I, I, I was in debt to myself, you know, I need to, you know, replenish the emergency fund and everything else, right? But uh, not addressing the fundamental questions. And so, I mean, that, that the scary thing is, if, if we do have a parallel with Isaiah, you know, we got to keep in mind, so the Assyrians came all the way up to the city in a siege, right? Um, but, you know, Jerusalem did not fall yet. But then, as you said, uh, Isaiah said, hey, guys, you got, you've got to change your ways. We've got to change course here or else... Judah is going to be leveled the same way that the north was up there with Samaria and Israel. And and sure enough, that's what happened in the exile. So, I mean, you know, is all of this, you know, Great Recession stuff, um, you know, and all of our present day greed, is that just leading up to something else? And, you know, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, Pastor Metter said this yesterday, you know, that that kind of talk, you know, can be written off as, you know, doomsayers or just i don't know like theological eeyores or something like that but like all these things they they just repeat themselves we're still human beings and the excesses um and the greed and the lust it always ends the same way two thoughts with that just even as you were talking all of these things two thoughts came to mind one is um why does god uh always bring calamities uh, and 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 why to me i'm a faithful christian well two right. thoughts with that it come then one is that if god just let the world go on its own without intervening in particular ways um we would devour ourselves because of our sinful hearts as i right. mentioned before we're born with a sinful nature not a spiritual nature and, and that will bite and devour and consume, and we would destroy ourselves. So even right. Christians who struggle with the, the new nature, old nature, uh, they too need to be disciplined by the Lord, even as Hebrews chapter right. 12 talks about. Because exactly. left to ourselves, we, we would, we would uh, uh, do the same thing, but we would just, uh, uh, what did Jesus say, whitewash the, 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 the tombstones, yep. uh, make it look yep. nice, even though it isn't necessarily nice. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, that's well That's well said. And we saw that in Isaiah 2, how that fire is coming, and that's a fire of judgment, and that's scary, but it's also a fire of refining, you know, and he says that, that I'm going to, you know, take this dross and I'm going to refine it. I'm going to get the silver out of this thing. You know, mm -hmm. we, we've got this mm -hmm. problem, and, you know, God's, God's solution of judgment it's a it's a word of law and it's scary, but I mean it is also a message of gospel because he's saying like, look, I'm I'm going to kill so that I can make alive, and 
we can't get to the resurrection unless there's a crucifixion here. So, you know, all, all these moments here, they are just little, uh, little previews of, you know, the resurrection that we're looking forward to, that, that perfect messianic age, like we were seeing in chapter two. But let's, um, I'm noticing here that we actually have a call here, a comment, all right? Uh, looking at okay. something from the Proverbs. That's great. We actually, I'm looking forward to getting into the Proverbs. We need to do that. Mm. We've got Cindy on the line. So, sister, we have a, we have a comment here for us. Hi. I'm, this is um, the, the um, scripture that you were looking for when you talked about this, um, Pastor Espinoza. It's, uh, I'm reading from the New American Standard. This is Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of thee, do not refuse me. Before I die, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty, poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. That's, I think that's what you might have yep. been looking for. That's, yeah. that's, okay. that's it. I, truth be told, I'd actually forgotten that, that the thing I was thinking of was actually from the Proverbs. But, yeah, it, it is indeed right there in Proverbs 30 right there. It's a, it's a, it's a very beautiful practical prayer. I, I appreciate Pastor Anders bringing up... Um, I am but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Mm, because yes. why? Why tell me you you two pastors? Why do I wax want, wanting to go and having to stay? It's like now, but not yet. You know that Lutheran, <laughs> that wonderful Lutheran term. Yeah, now, right. but not yet. Yeah. And right. and it's and it's like, but I'm for some reason I'm hearing a lot in a lot of the studies that I read and and even listen to on this radio station you know, look for pointing us constantly to Jesus in heaven. And, you know, like the transfiguration, I, you know, mm -hmm. I think about that a lot. And, and so, um, so anyway, I, I, I just really appreciate the study. I, I really appreciate you talking about that today. Thank you so much. Yeah, th thank, thank you, you sister. Appreciate yeah, that's fantastic finding it in, in the Proverbs there. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I'd forgotten it there. Yeah, Proverbs mm -hmm. 30 mm -hmm. between uh, verses 7 and 9 there. There's there, there's the prayer, right? That we and there's actually that's interesting though that there's two parts there, right? There's that there's that latter part, which is what I was thinking, right? And don't let right. me have you know too much, and I deny God or too little, and I profane God. But then there's that first part there, which is connected to falsehood and lying, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't. It, it's so interesting how the scriptures they they always seem to find a way to connect lying to just about everything um uh, but but I, I think that that's that's really that, that's really key and it's insightful because i mean when when we have that over reliance on the present aren't we just lying to ourselves you know like it, that's like you were just saying brother you know we rationalize yeah. ourselves out of a paper bag that's us lying to other people and lying to ourselves more than anything else we're being we're just not being honest about the condition of our hearts I know you're not ready to go to this yet, but the last latter part of chapter three and all right. of the list of adornments, that's basically what it's uh, pointing to. These ladies were getting themselves dressed in fine uh, linens and jewelry and, and don't I look wonderful. And, and, right. and it is a lie because what God, the reason God is going to take it away is because 
He said, it's the heart that matters. You can have everything outside, but if it's not inside, it's nothing to me. And so it is a lie. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's not that God doesn't want us to have things or he wouldn't have provided them, but it's how we use them that becomes the yeah. lie and the deceit and the, and, and the, the problem that's our lives. Yeah, that, that's actually, that's really, I do appreciate it because that's actually maybe the, the helpful nudge I need to get back on track here. We should probably read the rest of the chapter. <laughs> well, you've got to um, read verses but, 10 and 11 before I hang up here today. Well, yeah, that's right. No, that's right. No, we'll, no, we'll, 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 read, we'll read this. We'll read this. But, but like, I really like your point, though, because I, I think that, you know, our reaction, the conversation often goes like this, right? Uh, you know, someone like comes in with this spiritual perspective saying, yeah, no, this is excessive. And, you know, where is your heart? And God sees into the heart. And, you know, look at look at you with like all this, you know, uh, jewelry and all this wealth or whatever. And then then the response is something like, well, this isn't bad. You know, it's not like it's not like jewelry is a bad thing. I mean, doesn't God like want me to to take care of myself? And like, isn't beauty something that's from God? And, you know, if I'm a temple of the spirit then shouldn't i be a, a, you know adorned and you know i mean like you know right the, you know here comes the justifications right and we're saying like all this stuff <laughs> like and like oh well i'm only you know i'm not this isn't this isn't binging netflix this is just you know i'm tired i've had a long day i need rest god rested from his work right i mean here it comes right um just all the scriptures like you know cited perfectly all of a sudden right but just like yeah. you're saying yeah. though right but the thing is, it, it's a it's a lie. It's like Satan in the wilderness citing scripture. Like you know, we're, we're just papering over and we're just whitewashing the tombs. And like, yeah, hypothetically, you've got a point, except that God sees through that. Except that God, except you're lying to yourself. You know, and th- and that's really the problem. The problem the problem isn't the jewelry. The problem isn't the wealth. The problem isn't you know having leaders. Right? It, it, it's where the heart's at. And so. Yeah, that's 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 too too good of a point there. Putting those things together, the the last part of Isaiah three here with mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. we just looked at in Proverbs uh, Proverbs thirty, Proverbs chapter thirty. But yeah, we, we like you said, we we gotta we gotta keep reading. So, but we should do that. <laughs> uh, we, we 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 went through verse eight, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Verse eight. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, and, and actually, you know, just and just look at look at that last thing there. Uh, last thing I'll say about verse uh, eight here. Um, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Again, like the, the connection to their speech, right? It's it's not just that, you know, they're 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 far from God and what they have done or what they have done like you know violates the law. It, it's their their speech again. It's 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 full of lies, it's full of dishonesty, not being honest with themselves or other people. All right, so here we pick it up here. You've got to stop there for a second. You just said something that I, I, I have to respond okay, to. Okay, go ahead. You because, go ahead. Uh, as Isaiah was speaking these words, as these then were read later, uh, and, and people were probably shocked. What? God's going to take away our support? He's going to chaos and all this and that? But verse 8 says, why? And that is yep. so important for us to hear. And I'm sure the people went, what? Because they were thinking of all the things that would be taken away from them. And then came verse 8, uh, because you're, what was the word, defying God's glory? Defying his glorious presence, right. And and that probably should take some time to really unwrap. I don't know if we have that time today. But 
how maybe do we defy God's glory uh, and his presence? Yeah. Yeah, Because as we look um, at that, we'll find out, and we might wonder, well, why am I now poor and destitute? Why is God doing this? Well, there might be a reason. I don't want to say there's a reason behind everything. I'm not a fatalist. I don't think God just sits up there and throws lightning bolts. Uh, But sometimes he does direct circumstances uh, to bring us to our knees to turn us back to him. Yes, and that's that's certainly no overstatement. As, as much as the prophets connect circumstances to our own actions, it, it seems like we're on firm ground saying that God often is connecting things to our actions. So, yeah, that's that's not that's not you know stretching it too far. Uh, but yeah, yeah, verse eight would be worth unpacking, and, and even you, you see the note in the ESV that literally the language is something like um, in the eyes of His glory. Which you know, you can, yeah, there's something there in the poetry, but we, we should probably just at this point go ahead and read the rest of the chapter. Um, just well, at, let me just add one last thing. I think the best thing okay. there is the word presence. Uh, with with um, um, last week uh, emphasis on the lost sheep and the lost coin. Um, right. The whole point was to bring the sheep back into the presence of the shepherd, the coin back into the presence. Uh, an awareness of the woman and that's what god wants is he wants us to be aware of him and his presence and and i don't know if we should get so tied in with the word glory but just that we take time for god and realize he is god and we are his creature right yes yeah absolutely no I, i keep thinking about the readings on sunday as well Lots of good connections here. Um, certainly, there's that connection to Ezekiel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. Are you know? I mean, it's like it's like you, you think they were buddies or something with how much they they seem to overlap. <laughs> probably, but, but probably, yeah. Okay, now, but so look, now look, let's look, move on, or though yes, won't definitely. Get <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so what we see the metaphor changing. We we have this mm-hmm. idea of the leaders being taken away, and all that's left are you know babies and kids to rule. And the babies and children are going to kind of give way here to, to women. And we're going to have to talk about, like, how, how the poetic metaphor is shifting. But let's read it first, and then we can have a few minutes here at the end. So verse 9. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They don't hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge the peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantingly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. 
In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings, and the nose rings, and the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of a well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword. And your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty she shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We'll eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. So, I mean, just uh, it's the, the, the poetry is it's uh, I mean, there's this stark reversal, right? Like it's just you, you go and you've got how many how many terms was that for like all the different accessories and oh my uh, God. pieces of jewelry? Yeah. Right? I mean, just this. I mean, yeah. what a depiction of just the abundance and, the, and just the uh, what's like, uh, I guess, opulence of it all. And then just it just hits like a ton of bricks. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and just it just turns on a dime. God is going to just undo all of this. It's going to be just the opposite of the way it looked. And you know this is this is yeah this is like chapter three. This is this is anticipating what's going to happen with with the Assyrians. We're not going to have this this extravagant wealth anymore. This is certainly not going to last. It's it's interesting, though, you know, you mentioned the readings on on Sunday, you know, the accusation. Yeah, it's talking about, you know, uh, the daughters of Zion here. But, you know, before we get there, he's talking about the guides who have misled and the elders and the princes who have devoured the poor and who have crushed the people of God. And this is like the same language that we had in Ezekiel 34, right? You know, where there's this mm -hmm. language of, you know, mm -hmm. you've pushed with side and with horn, right? Um, and here you've gone and you've, you've trampled them underfoot and all the rest of the language there. He's looking at Jotham and Ahaz, right? He's, he's looking at the elders and the aristocracy. Um, and, and first of all, he's, he's laying the blame with them um, because the buck stops with them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But let's turn to a, a word of hope and promise. Verse 10, before we mm. delve into all of that law, which we've already dealt with. And, and I, I'm guessing all of the listeners can go, hmm, is this speaking to me? And there may be, maybe ladies are, looking, ladies are looking at their hands and the jewelry they have on. And, and men should do mm. the same uh, with their belt buckles and their, their shoes or whatever. Um, uh, again, this is a, a God taking away the external because of an internal. Um, and in verse 10, it gives the word of promise and hope. Right. That's true. And it went by really fast, right? And, you know, because <laughs> uh, yep, yep, it really, yep. really, really went quickly into, I mean, because really everything that follows in verse 12 and the rest of it is just an elaboration on verse 11. Woe to the wicked, yeah. it shall be ill with him. But before that, just very quickly, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like you said, like a very uh, 
it's 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 a word of gospel and it goes by quick but um it's, it's interesting that it's so short right yeah but i think here's where we can find uh, i i like to look at things in in juxtaposition so what mm-hmm. is a righteous person it, it isn't the the i'm holy i'm righteous i'm better than than other people i don't swear i don't smoke i don't do whatever but with the things that he describes after verse 10 is what bothers right. god that the right. abuse of power uh, the the uh, tyranny that are placed upon people, that it oppresses people, that's the opposite of what God is looking for in righteousness. If we want to look on right. this earth, that's what we need to be looking at is, is are we uh, in our smugness, in our pride, because that was the one of the big sins of the daughters of Zion was their pride, and I think that's why... Right. Uh, he was speaking of the women. There might be more reasons, but I, it, it, women are secondarily in that um, they are the proceeds of the male's warrior's ability to bring prosperity, at least in that culture it was. Right. And so it's speaking both to men and women because right. of the pride and the abuse that's going on. God just wants justice and kindness to people on this earth yeah that's a really good point because right the the whole idea of like all the women in that culture wearing all that stuff is because their men have gone out in war and have plundered and looted and brought it all home and they're throwing all this stuff on on um on their women as if they're like you know trophy display cases or something so it's it's describing an excess not just of the women but of the men Right, yeah. who are who are yeah. doing all of this, but but then, and that's why he says that all the women are going to be uh, are going to be left without any men because the men are going to just be killed in judgment against what they have done, and so you have that juxtaposition on both sides. But as you said, the meek, the lowly, those who are oppressed, there's a word of gospel here. These are the people who are like Jesus, who came humble as a servant, um, who died that we might rise, and that's where we're going towards. This is all for the sake of the resurrection that day when the swords will be beaten into plowshares. Thank you so much, brother. We, we made it through the You're end of welcome. the chapter. <laughs> Looking forward to next time. <laughs> oh, there's more to go, more to go. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor Dave Andrus, pastor of Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and also of Not Alone Ministries. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.